Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Coming up on this edition of the Golf Central Podcast, Rex and I are live from the Masters. We'll get you all the info you need for the first tee shot is struck on Thursday morning at Augusta National. This podcast is brought to you by the new P770 from TaylorMade. Why practice a draw if you've got a fade? If you can hit it high, why master the stinger? Because the key to better golf is having options you can count on. That's why TaylorMade took everything they learned making the P790, the Forge Face, the Speed Foam, and all its DNA, and put it into a smaller package. Introducing P770, let the sibling rivalry begin. Rex, we are live, coming to you live, from the Augusta Marriott. Socially distanced, of course. Uh, Me in my hotel room. You in your hotel room. Uh, We just went through a murderer's row of press conferences Tuesday here at the Masters. Every big name player you could possibly think of uh, came into our beautiful media building and graced us with their presence and answered all of our inane questions. Uh, What was your biggest takeaway from the day before we start diving into this Masters tournament? Uh, Well, two takeaways before I get to that. One, we're both missing the champion's dinner. And before we get to that, like, what would you want most off that menu? We've seen the menu. We know what Tiger Oh, the sashimi. The sashimi. Now the only Augusta roll. The only the only difference, Rex. The only change I would make, and I I like I like fajitas. I probably got to be in the mood for fajitas. Um, but if I were doing this menu, I I mean I I would do the sushi. I'd do the sashimi. I would do the milkshakes for dessert. I would swap in uh, a cut of prime rib. Give me give me a slice of prime rib. Take take the fajitas out. To me, prime rib and sushi's and sushi, sorry, with milkshakes and some, I think it was like a $500 bottle of wine that they're serving tonight. Uh, that would, that would do me pretty solid. And the milkshake. How do you feel about the milkshake? Love the milkshake, love milkshake. milkshakes, chocolate, banana. You can't go wrong. No, uh, because you go back and the first time he held this dinner, he had hamburgers and, but the highlight was the milkshakes. As he points out, you can't see, Lift the curtain a little bit. He just showed me his egg salad. Egg salad sandwich? Is that what you have? Uh, already, already plowed through an egg salad sandwich here at the hotel. This is a master's club, Rex. Uh, and, what, and what are you enjoying this evening? I went with egg salad, and there's actually a uh, kind of a, a, a cracker and cheese plate that you can take out of the media center. Called charcuterie. You, called charcuterie. In case you guys did not know, Lav and I are very, very cheap. So we're going to move on. The one thing that stood out 
today, and it was a very busy day as far as the press conferences go, as you pointed out, was Tiger Woods' emotion when he was talking about last year. He started the press conference kind of holding up his arm when you know he was asked about 19 months ago. It's been a year and a half now since he won that historic Masters, and we have a hard time remembering at this point. But I, he still gets chills, and he still gets emotional. And look, Tiger is so stoic when it comes to these things. He does not show emotion like this. He does not allow himself the moment to look back and appreciate what he accomplished. But in this particular case, he does because it was so emotional and it was so significant and everything that he had been through. I can't say I'm surprised. I, I know what the moment meant to him. I know what the moment really meant to all of golf, but for Tiger Woods, who look, he has made a career out of being aloof for him to acknowledge that. Yes, this still gets to me. I still get goosebumps. That was a really cool moment for me. He was more emotional today giving his opening statement than he was in the hour after his victory when he was given the, the press conference. I think probably the adrenaline was still pumping at that point. I'm not sure it necessarily uh, settled in exactly what he accomplished, even though obviously he was overwrought with emotion, hugging hugging Charlie and his family and, and giving a speech on the on the practice putting green. But an hour later, he was he was pretty stoic. You know, it, I think it, it took months for him to realize that, boy, this but really was stoic. Yeah, the, but this this really was lightning in a bottle. You know, every everything really did align for me to be able to to win this Masters, and I think that's what's been able to to sink in finally after eighteen or nineteen months, is is just how unlikely it really was, and how it, if it ends up being the last major championship, which you know he's knock on wood, he's he's got several more to play. If it if it does end up being his fifteenth and final major, it's a pretty good bookend to a to a Masters history now that that goes back twenty two years. It really does. And the other thing that, that kind of shocked me, and look, this is fueled by us. So I feel like the media, not you and I specifically, but the media in general are as guilty as this as anyone. Uh, and I, I just wanted to track this just because I was curious. If you've been on social media lately, all you've read about is Bryson DeChambeau. And is he going to use the 48-inch shaft with his driver? Is he going to overpower Augusta National? Or are they going to have to try to Bryson-proof it? And the one thing that stood out to me is in Justin Thomas's interview today, he was asked 10 questions. Four of those questions were about Bryson DeChambeau. Two, very, very late in the proceedings, by the way, were about Tiger Woods. It's baffling to me. I get the fascination with what Bryson is doing. And maybe it's because, as I pointed out, we're a year and a half removed from that 2019 Masters that Tiger won. And maybe it just feels like a lifetime ago after everything we've been through in 2020. But under any other universe, this week would have been a celebration of what Tiger Woods did. In any other universe, this would have been a look back at, at that magical Sunday when Tiger was able to turn back the clock and win that fifth green jacket and win that 15th major and do all those things that we just sat and marveled at. You and I froze at our computers because we knew we weren't good enough to write this. Because it, I kind of brought it last Sunday or last year on Sunday. I'm not, I'm not sure about you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily speak for me. No, 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 no. I, it, it was too big to write. I, I just wrote pick up wires and hook the graph and I, then I was done. <laughs> too big to write. But, but all those things, and yet somehow the, the headlines, the social media, everything is about Bryson. And I appreciate Bryson's experiment. I think we're going to have fun talking about this in a couple of minutes. But I'm still baffled that somehow this, this accomplishment of a generation, this accomplishment that had us all buzzing for over a year, somehow has faded. And I think it has something to do with, again, year and a half removed. We're playing the Masters in November for the first time ever. There's no patrons. All of these things have made this just the most surrealist uh, of, of tournaments. 
Maybe. And I, I think it also has to, to deal with the fact that the Tiger's been dreadful. He's been dreadful. That's over part the of past, it. Over the past three or four months. He hasn't finished sure. inside the top 35. He didn't qualify for the tour championship. He didn't, uh, he, he didn't make the cut at the U S open. He wasn't in contention at the PGA championship. He's, he's coming off uh, a, a pretty woeful performance in his last tournament at the Zozo championship. I think if Tiger Woods came in here with some form, yeah, I think there'd be plenty of buzz and, and everyone would be talking about, well, is this the week that Tiger can, can add to his legacy and, and match Jack with six green jackets? And can he make another step towards uh, climbing up Mount Nicholas and winning his 16th major championship? But instead, I mean, there was very few questions about even the state of, of Tiger's game at this point. And he didn't, he didn't have a great answer. He was, it was kind of hopeful in the fact that maybe this is the week that all comes together because he's either been poor driving it or poor iron play, which has been really um, unexpected just because that's been the hallmark of his game for almost three decades now. Uh, his, his putting we've talked about in this podcast several times has been in steady decline. So it, it just hasn't all come together. And Tiger's point, just like it was Phil's point, is that if any week he's still going to be dangerous and he still has a chance to win, and he can still rely on two decades of institutional knowledge at this golf course, it's going to be Augusta National. But as we talked about last week, you still have to be able to hit the shots that are required. You can have the best game plan in the world, but if you can't execute and you can't put the shot where it needs to be, it, it doesn't really matter. I agree with you to a point. If there's any ever a week that, that is going to matter, and we see it every year, Fred Couples, uh, Bernard Langer, they come out of the AARP ward and somehow they, they find a way to contend at this particular major because of institutional knowledge, as you pointed out. However, I don't think that's going to matter this year for a litany of reasons. One, the golf course is going to play slow. I think the slopes around the green. All right, are going let's, to play. let's, let's, let's get into the golf course. You and I have both, both been out there. What are, uh, what are your impressions? What are your, what are your impressions of, of what you've seen? Uh, I, I think what we're going to end up with is something that we're not used to at Augusta. It's going to play long. We're, we're used to it playing long, but I think it's around the greens. It's because it's got that extra kind of layer of, of grass that guys have talked about. All those things that, that make it a, a little bit different. I mean, obviously, playing in April, they have tuned this golf course for 12 months to be exactly where they want it. They could not do that this time around for a number of reasons, one of which is because they still have to tune this golf course for next April. So what you're going to see around the greens is it's going to be subtle. It's going to be slightly different. There's going to be nuances that you're, but you're going to be able to see that simply because guys are going to have to hit shots that they normally haven't had to hit around here. As far as tee to green, it's just going to be a long golf course. We've both seen the forecast. We both know it's going to rain. So I think that's going to whittle the field down. We can probably sit here and come up with 10 guys off the top of our heads that we have a realistic chance to win on this golf course playing this long. Yeah, this is, this is always the easiest tournament to handicap. And, and I think this year, uh, especially so just as you said, given the agronomic conditions and, you know, not to dive too deep in the weeds here, but people listening to this, it's basically, it's been so warm in Georgia this fall that there wasn't the traditional growing period from the Bermuda grass to the rye grass. And so what you're, what you're seeing out there is actually just like a mix of two grasses. And as, as you pointed out correctly, that is especially difficult when you get around the greens, because if it's straight Bermuda, you know what shot to play. If it's straight rye grass, you know what to play. But when you have a mix of it, the lie can be unpredictable. The spin can be unpredictable. The bounce you're going to get when you try and run it through uh, the fringe area or trying to impart some spin 
uh, on the green, it's all going to be subject to change. So I think that's certainly going to be different. Uh, a lot of players have mentioned it's a little bit thinner in the fairway in terms of like hitting approach shots. Um, but that's kind of also offset by the fact that the greens are softer than, than what they've anticipated. Now they can flip a switch and turn on the sub air system and, and make this golf course completely different. And I'm sure they will. Um, but in practice, every player is saying like, it's going to be a low scoring week. There's going to be a lot of birdies. There might not be much excitement because the patrons aren't going to be there to, to get them all jazzed. Um, but I expect to see really good scores and for players to be hunting flag sticks. Nothing says an exciting podcast more than talking about different grasses and how they grow. So I'm going to go ahead and transition very, very quickly. We are knowledgeable golf people. Yeah, I'm not getting into the, the, I like talking about people, not how grass grows. And I want to talk about this particular person specifically in Brighton. I don't particularly agree with the experiment. I don't particularly agree with the narrative, but you and I both have spent a good amount of time watching him the last few weeks. You followed him yesterday in his round with Tiger Woods. Give me your thoughts on how the experiment, because what we're going to end up with is a meme of Derrick Henry throwing down a, a linebacker with a stiff arm if he goes out and shoots 61 on Thursday. I mean, this, this is what I envision the world becoming. And people are going to say he's going to break Augusta National. I just don't see it happening. Either do I. And we've talked for weeks on this podcast and how implementing a 48-inch driver, and technically it's 47 and a half inches and probably just a little bit more than that. It's, it's under the legal limit, so he's not even going to try and mess with that. But we've talked for weeks about how it is an unnecessary risk. And I still believe that. And now I'm even more convinced it's an unnecessary risk because on Monday, I followed him for a nine-hole practice round with Fred Couples, Justin Thomas, Tiger Woods. Bryson DeChambeau was routinely carrying the ball 325 yards. He was routinely driving at 20 yards, at least 20 yards past JT and Tiger. He missed only one fairway. I mean, he's hitting these just absolute moon balls. And afterward, you know, he kind of lamented the fact that his spin rate is too high. And, you know, he's, he's given up 20 to 40 yards of distance because he can't dial it in. So now he's going to use a four and a half inch driver or four and a half degree driver. All this uninteresting stuff. And he basically squashed the idea that he would actually put the 48 inch driver into play this week his reason this being, is on monday just, this is on monday yesterday okay. 24 hours ago when we were recording this podcast and so on monday he says look i have never i have never tested this driver on property i don't know what it's going to do um and quote i'm not going to use it until it's right something happened in the next hour because he went on the range and you know it's it's at the back of the of the we can, we can see the range from the media building and you can see him bashing away and apparently he's getting five to 10 yards from the edge of the media building, which is almost 400 yards. And he's reporting club head speed of 144 and just, just absolutely silly numbers. And so he comes into the, to the press conference today and says, look, he just had his most promising session yesterday. Nothing's off the table. He thinks, he thinks it's actually going to be a go. So, you know, we, we take that information and I, I write a blog about it and then I'm getting ready to do a live shot hit from or a hit from the live shot and and one of bryson's team members come by and i go oh what, what driver does he have today he goes no the, the 48 inch just just isn't just isn't right yet you know we, we just can't do it an hour later and you can pick up the story from here an hour later bryson the is walking the golf course with only the driver with only the an driver hour an hour later i'm standing on the same riser uh, right of the first fairway would no one would ever see us by the way it's a very lonely very out of the way spot. It's not glamorous at all. And I'm about to do my hit and Bryson comes wandering by after I've heard 
two T-balls sail over my head. And he clearly is walking with his caddy. They don't even have the golf bag. He's got the driver with the 47 and a half inch shaft and he's got a putter and a wedge. And he kind of looks at me and we, we that's all he's going to need if he hits it right. That's all he's going to need if he on the entire golf course. Apparently he's going to win this with three clubs. It's going to be a historic first for the history of golf. But he says he just kind of wants to get a handle on the dispersion and, and how it feels. This is after he has spent the better part of, I don't know, two to three hours on the range working on this. Probably a little and, much. Yeah. And they walk up and they pick up the balls and then they go straight back to the range. This is how this experiment is going. And when I ask him as he's walking back, he said he still has work to do. And my I, hate is, that. I hate that. I, I hate it's that. It's Tuesday thing. of Masters week. Come, what's, what's the saying about... You got to go to the dance with the girl who brought your stay at the dance with the girl who brought you. Keep going. Whatever that stupid saying is, that's what Bryson needs to do. He is plenty long with his 45 and a half inch driver. Plenty long. One of the, one of the, he might not be the longest in the field, but he's, he's the top 1%. He's the top 1% in terms of distance. And so that is plenty good enough. And Bryson is the first to mention that guys, all this distance is great, but you know, it's really going to come down to wedging and putting. If you look at the stats, that's why I won the U S open. I, I, yes, I was, that's why it's yes, true. I was one of the longest, but my approach play was great. If I missed a green, I got up and down and my putting was typically excellent. He's a top 10 putter on the PGA tour this week. He needs to be focusing on his wedging and his putting. This is the rare tournament every year in which he's not allowed to use those detailed green reading books. And so he should be spending hours charting these greens and what he needs to do. And he's not because he's too obsessed with showing off and proving a point and trying to validate his approach, which he already validated Rex by winning the U S open at Wingfoot. He already validated it. Now it's just, it just seems like he's trying to, to make a statement that is totally unnecessary when his 45 inch driver is plenty good enough. No, I, I would agree with that. And this goes back to, and, and Justin Thomas probably said it best today. And he, he had clearly had enough Bryson questions during his press conference. Everyone has. Every Everyone player has. has. Brooks was not having it. Brooks wouldn't have it anyway with, with, with Bryson because the, the two just don't see eye to eye in a lot of life things. But, but today he just says, all I care about is myself, man. To, get, to give you, all right, I'm going to lift the curtain a little bit more. I was doing the interviews today for Golf Central, or I'm sorry, live from. And while I was doing an interview with John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau was at the next station over with ESPN and, and Woj was doing the interview with him and he, they had started before us and Bryson is, is explaining to the ESPN interviewer that I really feel like a long shot this weekend and before I can even start you know we're getting the camera ready and before I can even start with my first question John has now turned his neck to the side like he has whiplash and is listening to what Bryson says and he turns to me incredulous did he just call himself a long shot and yes I he's the betting favorite I, I said yes that's what, that's what I believe he said. And he yelled at the top of his lungs, how can the U.S. Open champion be the long shot this week? That's not possible. To the point that Bryson had to stop what he was doing with ESPN and turn and defend himself to John Robb. Who was coming there is no him. defense of that. It's indefensible. It was playful. It was playful. I, and look, Bryson came a, a couple minutes later, and I sort of made a playful comment about, hey, well, we're joined by the long shot. And he did go into a normal Bryson comment explanation long lengthy theoretical all of these things explaining why he feels like he's the long shot i'm sure there's logic in there i'm sure he could make someone understand it if they really cared i don't care not in this particular situation of course 
he's not the long shot. As you pointed out, he's the betting favorite. As the betting favorite, he's getting caught up in the wrong stuff. As the betting favorite, you don't get fixated on messing with drivers the way he's messing with drivers right now on the eve of the Masters, which could be a historic Masters for him, considering he's coming off the last major championship, which was the U.S. Open. You're right. He needs to fixate on these greens. He needs to fixate on how he's going to play on the short areas. Because the alternative is, he was asked, would you consider carrying two drivers? The answer was no. I'm not going to carry two drivers because if the, the longer shaft doesn't work, I can always go to my three wood and that's long enough. If that's the case, then stick with the three wood. Stick with whatever you feel comfortable with. Go out and make sure you're doing the right things, which on this particular golf course is short game. So what's, what is that saying about the girl in the dance? Dance with who brung you. Yes. But you could have kept going. I, I mean, I was never going to get it. So I, I, we could have spent the entire podcast trying to get the saying right. Um, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we finally nipped that in the butt. I wasn't uh, going to bail you out. I just, it just, it just baffling to me um, that he'd be fixating on this stuff. It just, it just reeks of a player. And look, he, in, in five days, five, six days, we may be talking about how Bryson DeChambeau has just absolutely transformed golf and he's, he's incredible and he's going to win the grand slam and in, and all this stuff. And he, I mean, he's, obviously if he wins the masters this week, uh, you'd have to like his chances again in five or six months uh, when we return in, in April. But I, I think it's also worth pointing out that Bryson has not fared well this year when he's been in the spotlight. He's not fared particularly well. And there's been two examples of that. When he won in Detroit, he was hitting it all over the dog legs and, and absolutely boat raced Matthew Wolf on the final day to win there and what seemed like the first validation of his approach. He played nicely in the in the restart events. He even played nicely at the beginning of 2020. But but that was kind of the, the statement victory, like, hey, this is actually going to work. The bare, two weeks later, we were both there at the memorial and he played terribly. He made like a 10 on a par five, ended up missing the cut. And, but he, he came in there as the most talked about guy in golf at the U S open. You may remember Bryson DeChambeau wasn't the leading headliner because Bryson DeChambeau didn't play particularly well in the FedEx cup playoffs. He was coming off a T four, the PGA championship where, you know, he, he kind of had a chance to win on Sunday. He was tied for the lead on Sunday before Colin Morikawa did Colin Morikawa things and, 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 and race past him. But not a lot of people were talking about Bryson at Wingfoot. It was all about Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson was the player who lit the postseason on fire and came into Wingfoot as the betting favorite and the, the player that everyone wanted to talk about. This is another moment, obviously a larger scale, like Memorial, where everyone's talking about him. Everyone wants to see how he plays. Bryson wants and craves that spotlight. And he wants to prove something, not just to himself, but I think to, to the greater golfing and sporting world. And historically, that has not proven to be Bryson's best outlet. Bryson thrives when no one's talking about him. And everybody, for better or worse, is talking about Bryson. Uh, I feel like we've, we've spoken enough about Bryson. That was very nuanced. That was very eloquent. Uh, I'm going to give you the final word on that one because what I want to know is when Bryson, Bryson, here, top, top 10 or not? Uh, yes, he top 10. What I really want to know is when we figure out a way to do this podcast on Monday with both of us heading in opposite directions to a different kind of the world, 
give me the feel-good story that you want us to be talking about. The feel-good story? Sure. Well, what story do you want to write on Sunday night and for us to sit down on Monday and be like, yes, that's what I was, that's the stuff. I mean, I'd like to write, I'd like to write Tiger again. I, I, did, it, I, did, I, did, it, I did it pretty well last year. I could do it again this year. I mean, look, I'd like to write Bryson winning. He's, he's incredibly interesting. He's always good material. He's not always the best quote because sometimes he can he can be a little too scientific for us, um, and sometimes he can he can be a little aloof aloof and dismissive. But but Bryson, love him or hate him, that's what people want to read about. We have metrics that show that when Bryson is in contention, or when we write about Bryson, people like to read it, or people like to listen to it, or people like to to watch him. Like, but that's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you what, what I'd like to I'd like to write Bryson. Okay. I'd like I'd like to write him. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I don't think so. You wanted to pin me against the wall, and I'm not going to do that. I think certainly the experiment could go either way. I could easily see him finishing in the top ten. However, I think again, as we've we've touched on way too much here, he, he's focusing on probably the wrong things in our opinion. The feel good story, and this is this might be is Rory. The Rory's Rory. feel-good story. Absolutely. The Rory is the feel-good story. And look, for all the reasons that we pointed out in the past, this is the one that means the most to him. Winning the career Grand Slam, he knows what that means to his legacy. I mean, that's a really small club. And what, do think, club what do you think is more likely to happen, Bryson or Rory? Uh, Rory, actually. And, and for the reasons I was just about to point out, I, I think Rory's game is 20, trending in the right direction. At the Zozo Championship, he made 29 birdies. And as he's he's pointed out in the past, it's easier to get rid of the bogeys and the big numbers than it is to try to add birdies. It's hard to make 29 birdies over four rounds. you got to be playing some pretty good golf. You're making some mistakes if you're not winning, but you're still playing some pretty good golf. And the other fact is, ever since he started this quest to complete the Grand Slam and to win this event for the first time, it's been hanging over his head. And he has been the center of the stage. He's been in the spotlight. This time around, it's simply not the case. Because, look, we talked about Tiger first, and then we talked about Bryson, and we can keep going down the list. Rory's going to be a very, very distant third on that list, and I think that only helps him. And I think when you look at the way this golf course is going to play, the forecast calls for a lot of rain. We know it's going to be a wet week. It seems like every major that Rory has won has been a wet, very, very wet week. He's been able to take advantage of that with his length and the way he drives the golf ball, and it's going to play more like a PGA Tour course. I know that they probably don't like me saying that, but it's they just the way don't. it's yeah, they certainly don't. But it's going just the way it's going to work out. I think all of this feeds into Rory McElroy's hands. It gives him an opportunity that he's probably not going to have for quite a while coming into this event because he has the opportunity now to make the most of, of what is going to be a perfect golf course for him. Yeah, I I agree. And and if you're giving me a head to head of of Roy versus Bryson, I think I would also take take Rory. And I actually thought it was a little bit weird, unless Rory's planting it in their ear. They had a match today with, with Xander Shoffley, Dustin Johnson, and Phil Mickelson, Rory did. And both Phil and Xander, unprompted, mentioned how good Rory was hitting it. Take for I, that, I, take for that what, what you want, but, but I think flying under the radar suits Rory very nicely, and he even admitted as much, that he very much likes this position that he is heading into this November Masters. And Rory would never admit this because it's, it's a bad look. You just can't do it. But I think without patrons, without all of the, the craziness that goes into what makes this week so special, 
And that, that's part of it. it. It's part of the tradition. It's part of the history of the event. But without that, I think it actually also takes pressure off Roy. Standing on that first tee, not having to worry about a couple hundred thousand people judging you being there. I mean, I think that matters to Roy. To some people, let's face it, Patrick Reed, it doesn't matter if a hundred thousand people are standing on the first tee judging him. To Rory, it matters. And not having that element there, I think, is only going to help his narrative. All right, let's 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 wrap up this podcast as we typically do uh, on the eve of a major. Rex, give me some sla- sleepers slash long shots. If people are filling out a pool, ah. I'm sure if I've, no one's in their office, I understand. It's like that. fantasy but, football all over yes, again right now. Just give God. me... Give me some players that if people are listening to this, if they've actually made it through this long of a master's preview podcast, reward them, reward them for their persistence. Who would you want to make sure that you have in your pool? And don't say the obvious names. Give me some sleeper types. I'm going to say a name and you're going to say, no, it's an obvious name, Scotty Scheffler. And, and I just think going into the U S name. he's a rookie first timer. No first timers won since 1979. Fuzzy. You know, know history. And no, I do. And look, here's the deal. Going into the U.S. Open, Scotty was one of those names that was kind of right on the outside of the edge of people saying that, wow, you need to keep an eye on Scotty. He could do special things this week. He's playing very, very well. Uh, COVID-19 test, he's got to miss the U.S. Open. He's got to miss a couple of weeks. I think since he's c- come back, he's played very, very well. I talked to him the other day. He's actually played this golf course quite a bit. I think he said he played here five times when he was in college. He's had yeah, the opportunity. Texas, Texas always gets to play. And so I, I just think it's one of those things that he would be on my list of, of guys that if he finds his way onto the leaderboard, whether that's Thursday or Sunday, I'm not going to be surprised. Uh, I actually like that pick a ton. A uh, ton. So kudos, so kudos to you. You're going to uh, go with your boy Wolfie now. I know what you're going to do. He's he's a top 15 player in the world. I can't I can't go with Wolfie. I'm not sure that's a, a long enough shot. Uh, two guys I will throw out there, Rex. Bubba Watson and Jason Day. Bubba Watson, of course, two-time Masters champion. You look at his last two starts, T7, T4, one of the best besides Dustin Johnson, the strokes gained T to green category since the PGA championship. Bubba Watson, by the way, all the way down to uh, 44th in the world ranking. So he's going to be those guys. He's going to be one of those guys, Rex, who if you're looking at your pool, since I know you love office pools and you are disparaging uh, all the office members of, of America, that fantasy football that you could have him in a group three or four. I'd, I'd love to put Bubba in that category. Jason Day is probably also going to be in that same group. Had a chance to win last week in Houston. You know about his record at Augusta National, three top three finishes um, over the past decade. Jason Day, if you can get him in that group three or four, somewhere around there as being 41st in the world, uh, I think you have to take that up as well. All right, Rex, no, before we go. Jason, he showed signs of life last week. I, I like that Jason Day pick. Uh, give, give me your winner. Give me your winner and why. Uh, Roy McIlroy for all the reasons I said. Wow, you're actually going to take Roy. That not just a feel good story. You want to you want to feel good next Sunday or I just or Monday or Monday if we're going to have a Monday finish. I want to ride it Sunday. Hey, easy with the dark clouds, Chicken Little. The sky's not falling quite yet. It it might (laughs) on Wednesday and Thursday, but no, I I think for all the reasons we said, and I want to write that story Sunday night, and I want you and I to talk about it on Monday. Uh, My pick to win is John Rom. Uh, It's not it's not a huge limb, but number two ranked player in the world, top tens in each of his past two appearances now uh, at Augusta National. Had a chance to win in his last start at Zozo, where he was very encouraged by his iron play. That is the key always at the Masters, is strong iron play, and John Rahm is certainly showing signs. What about the long shot Bryson DeChambeau? He he claimed he's a long shot. What about the long shot? The long shot? 
No, I've, I'm already taking Rory over. I I think Bryson's probably going to finish around a top ten. I mean, the, the, this is this is statistically the weakest Masters field in 20 years, and that's not a criticism of the Masters, but you had some weird things going on in terms of the the qualifications, and it's just it's just how 2020 is. This is it's a weak field. I think Bryson just by default is one of the ten best players this week. Like, it's does Tiger Woods make the cut? It's pretty easy to handicap this. Does Tiger Woods make the cut? Yes. Does, Does Phil, Phil make, the cut? make the cut? No. Ah, no. I don't I'm going to go. I'm going to go. No for Phil. That's a 47 and a half inch driver uh, shaft. That's not going to work out. No. I mean, he's going to hit along, but he's not necessarily going to hit straight. All over the All park. Right. We're out of here, Rex. We got work to do. We got TV. We got writing. Uh, so we're going to wrap up this edition of the Golf Central podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be recapping the Masters and so much more coming to you next week. Have a good week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.